the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California Bar-admitted attorney, and I'm also a bankruptcy law certified specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. In addition to my JD, I also hold a couple of master's degrees. I'm a master of the laws of taxation law, and I'm also a master of the laws of intellectual property laws, things that are really needed in today's complex business environment. Both of my master's degrees were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, which is located in beautiful downtown San Francisco. Because of my training, experience, expertise, and interests, I primarily practice bankruptcy, debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and taxation law. And I'm also proud to say that on occasion I have the opportunity to help out seniors and try to vindicate their rights. These are seniors who find themselves the victims of various forms of financial elder abuse. I am, as always, so pleased to be able to come to you again today from the beautiful KFAX studios in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, as always, I must once again ask you to please know that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provides you at least an outline of some of the issues that may help you seek out and find qualified legal or financial professional help because, as I'm known for saying, Representing yourself in a legal matter, especially one dealing with your finances and keeping a roof over your children's head and food on the table, is like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. And unless you're Shane, and Shane didn't take a butter knife to any gunfight, you're going to find your valid claims and legal defenses, they're likely going to turn into corpses and make it to the promised land long before you do. So again, I must share with you the purpose of Selwyn's Law here on KFAX, in case you haven't guessed, is to discuss the law related to your money or the lack thereof and, fi- and your finances and what you may need to consider to protect your family's financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being, as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening forum. You know, because I keep hearing from some of you out there in Radio Land, I must let you know that I sincerely appreciate the fact that you not only listen to this show, 
but also that you take the time to share with me your thoughtful comments on the presentations I make here each week. And I also want to thank you for your suggestions on the subject matter you'd like me to research and discuss on future shows. Please know that hearing from you, including your respectfully presented critiques and disagreements and counterpoints, really make my day. So I invite you to please continue to let me know if you have any financial or legal issues you'd like for me to do some research on and discuss here on Selwyn's Law on KFAX. And speaking of thoughtful listeners out there and their comments, I heard from a couple listeners with points of view and valuable insight and information we all need to consider as we prepare to work together with our elected officials and other stakeholders in plotting our joint way forward in determining uh, what we're going to do in dealing with California's future that includes the ever-increasing probability of urban and rural wildfires and the continuing deterioration of our electric and gas distribution infrastructure and determining how to fund its upgrades and how we can continue to insure our homes and businesses from the increased likelihood of fires in this new but apparently here-to-stay fire-prone environment that has been brought on by climate change. First up, I received a message from Tim Stempler on November 2nd, 2019. Mr. Stempler informed me that, he said, I just heard you on KFAX this morning, but only got the latter half of your message. But what I heard led me to believe that you were presenting a more balanced approach to the recent fires allegedly caused by PG&E. Now, full disclosure, I'm a retired PG&E employee, but I'm speaking on my own as a private citizen. In my 13 years working at the main office, I got to see many of the inner workings of the utility. It is a highly complex undertaking to get electricity and gas safely into our service territory and keep it safe and reliable. Gas and electricity are inherently dangerous commodities, and sometimes there are failures. But they do immense good for society uh, the the vast majority of the time. PG&E is caught in a confluence of regulatory, political, financial, and certain social currents. These forces are difficult to balance. You have mentioned shareholders, ratepayers, consumer citizens, government parties, to which I would add environmental, i.e. conservationists, green power advocates, etc. Would you please address soon on your show the part of our forest management practices in the state of California? I have heard it said that overall resistance to forage, forest management, that is to say logging, thinning, etc., has contributed to the poor health of the forest, making them highly flammable if there are sparks from electrical equipment. I would think that crowded trees also enable the spread of vegetation diseases. On top of that, add drought. Crowded trees that share limited water leading to disease and death of some of these trees. All of these factors exacerbate fire danger conditions. 
Further, building homes in or near forested areas without appropriate fire protection also may be why we're seeing an increase in disasters. These are governmental policy issues. In my opinion, there are plenty of parties to blame in this scenario, not just PG&E. It is unfair, in particular on the part of Governor Newsom, to single out only PG&E as the only one to hold accountable when the state of California, its elected and non-elected officials, and consumer advocates like Turn have been a party to how PG&E is able or unable to operate. There is plenty of blame to go around in all directions, PG&E included, but let's be fair. First off, Mr. Stimbler, thank you so much for your very thoughtful letter, and while I glean your sincere and heartfelt loyalty to PG&E as a former employee, and please know that there's absolutely nothing wrong with having a sense of loyalty to your former employer. I still have a sense of loyalty to my first two employers, the United States Department of Defense and Pacific Bell. However, and more importantly, what I glean from your comments is a sense of fairness and equity, which you have emphasized the fairness and candor in the dissemination of information about the problem and a need for equity and inclusion of all parties to this problem in that we all need to address this problem if we're going to come up with a solution that's fair to all stakeholders. And I must say, I totally agree. To answer your question, it would be my pleasure to research and present some information on the state of California's forest vegetation management program in this particular forum. As I shared with some of you who are uh, listeners on another uh, network that I provide commentary, after the Oakland Hills firestorm, my city council member and the then mayor of Oakland appointed me to be on the city's brand new Oakland Hills Fire Suppression District, a special taxing authority where we who lived in the Oakland Hills taxed ourselves to fund innovative ways to suppress the likelihood of future urban conflagrations, including a vegetation management program that is near and dear to my heart and one that to this day uses goats to clear away the dead undergrowth in some of the beautiful forested areas in the Oakland Hills. And during the late summer and fall of each year, I look forward to being awakened a morning or two to, by the sound of goats roaming around the wildlife preserve that surrounds the homes in my neighborhood. So, Mr. Stempler, please stay tuned. You know, I, I, again, we all have to take some of the blame in this. And because we are to be accountable, we all must put forth are very good ideas and share them with each other. And I really appreciate Mr. Stempler going out of his way to share his thoughts, and I, it's my pleasure to share them with you and invite you all to make a contribution uh, because we need to let the governor know that perhaps a publicly owned utility cooperative might be one solution, uh, but we need to be open-minded about it and um, pay heed to what our fellow Californians say because, you know, we're all in this together. And this is not just a Northern California issue. As we know, our brothers and sisters down in Southern California uh, have to deal with uh, wildfires every single uh, year. And it seems like this is a no-going-back proposition for any of us. So 
We really need to pay attention to what's going on around us, stay in touch with our elected officials. As Mr. Templer uh, uh, talks about, uh, stay in touch with nonprofit organizations, uh, consumer advocacy organizations that speak to government on our behalf to make sure that they understand all sides of this issue. And there are multiple sides to this issue. And when we come back, we'll continue our discussion on how we can move forward in the face of the ever-increasing fire hazard by sharing another letter that I received from a, a listener this week. This one talks about insurance. We'll be back. back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion on what we as a statewide California community need to do to prepare for the next rural wildfire or urban conflagration by sharing uh our thoughts with each other. And what I want to do in the second half of this show is share a letter that I received last week from another listener, this one focusing on access to fire insurance in the wake of the recent disasters. I received a letter from Carl Sussman, who is an insurance professional. Uh, He readily says that he provides expert witness services to entities that are engaged in insurance litigation. Um, On November 7th, Mr. Sussman informed me that on November 5th, earlier this month, 2019, a notice came out from the California Department of Insurance regarding an immediate change or several immediate changes to the insurance company's underwriting guidelines and claims handling as a result of a bill signed by Governor Gavin Newsom. The bill was entitled SB 240, and amongst the many things, it adds a new section to the California Insurance Code, Section 1406A1, which immediately impacts both how insurance companies in California can underwrite insurance policies and how claims must be handled going forward. Here are the top five Significant changes to how insurers may underwrite insurance policies in California. First, the time limit to collect additional living expenses, also known in the insurance uh, industry as ALE. In the event of a covered loss relating to a state of emergency, either declared by Governor Newsom or the president, coverage for additional living expenses, also known as the loss of use, shall be for at least 24 months from the inception of the loss, but shall be subject to other policy provisions. An insurer shall grant an extension of up to 12 additional months for a total of 36 months if the insured, that is to say the person insured, acting in good faith and with reasonable diligence encounters a delay or delays in the reconstruction process that are as a result of circumstances beyond the control of the insureds. Circumstances beyond the control of the insured includes, but are not limited to, unavoidable construction permit delays, 
lack of necessary construction materials, the lack of available contractors to perform the necessary work, and additional extensions of six months shall be provided to policyholders for good cause. Translated, under your normal homeowner's policy, for a loss that's listed in your policy, the insurance company must or more than likely give you 24 uh, months of additional living expenses. So when your house burns down and you you can't inhabit it anymore, so where are you going to stay? So the insurance company will pay for your reasonable additional living expenses to rent an apartment in another uh, city or to pay for some um, hotel, motel, and restaurant expenses, or if you're fortunate enough to have relatives in the area, you can stay at their home, but you know there's going to be increased costs because additional mouths to feed and heat to purchase. So that's what this additional living expenses, while your home is being rebuilt, 24 months. Well, as a result of the emergency, the California legislature has passed a bill to increase that to 36 months, and there's a possibility of an additional six-month increments if the rebuilding of your home is beyond your reasonable control. So that's a new item. Also, a rebuilding in current location or rebuilding in a new location. I'll just tell you, normally you can either rebuild your home in the location where it burned down, or you can move to a new location and have the home rebuilt there. But the legislature has made some changes. An insured may use their replacement cost insurance coverage to, one, build at the current location, uh, rebuild in a new location, or purchase an already built home in a new location. Replacement cost coverage shall include payment for the building code upgrade coverage, even if the insured did not incur building code upgrade costs. So what So what does this mean? You move to a new location, that new location has more stringent control over construction. That means additional uh, roofing, uh, insulation might be required, additional um, um, uh, plumbing might be required. The insurance company must cover these costs under this new bill. The third area is the ability to combine coverage in the event of a claim relating to a state of emergency. Again, it has to be an emergency recognized by the highest uh, authority, either in the state or in the nation, and insured you under a residential property insurance policy shall be permitted to combine payments for claims from losses up to the policy limits for the primary uh, dwelling and for other structures for any of the covered expenses reasonably necessary to rebuild or replace damages of the destroyed dwelling if the policy limit coverage to rebuild or replace the uh, primary coverage is insufficient. So let's translate this into English. You have a home on the same or adjacent property that you own. You have outbuildings, a barn. You might have Uh, uh, a pool and a pool house, or you might have uh, in-law units, and say your policy is to just pay for the primary residence, 
normally the amount that's paid for these outbuildings is substantially less than what the coverage for your primary uh, dwelling. What this means is you can combine all of the policy limits for all of the outbuildings to replenish or rebuild a home if you need to do so, because sometimes people are underinsured, not intentionally, but by accident. And so you don't need three quarters of a house or, well, let me put it another way. What are you going to do with three quarters of a house? You need to build a whole house and maybe you won't have your outbuildings anymore, but at least you have the main dwelling. Okay. And this is something very new, a non-renewal after a declared disaster. Right now, insurance companies can walk away. Many people think that, you know, their insurance policy is a, is a lifelong commitment like their marriage should be. But it's a year-to-year contract that generally is renewed, but it doesn't have to be renewed because it's a contract, and contracts have a clause that says we don't have to renew. Same with insurance, uh, uh, health insurance. Okay, under this new law, the insurer shall offer to for at least the next two annual renewal periods, but no less than 24 months of coverage from the date of the loss, to renew the policy in accordance with paragraph one. If the total loss of the primary insured structure was caused by a disaster, uh, again, a disaster declared by the governor or the president, the loss was not also due to negligence on the part of the insured, and the loss did not occur subsequent to the disaster-related total loss. So this means that the insurance companies are going to be on the hook to renew for at least two cycles. Um, And then finally, uh, non-renewal or cancellation within fire perimeter. This is a new clause that's asked. An insurer shall not cancel or refuse to renew a policy of residential property insurance for property located in any zip code within or adjacent to a fire perimeter for one year after the declaration of an emergency based solely on the fact that insured structure was located within the area in which the fire or wildfire had occurred. This prohibition applies to all policies of residential property insurance in effect at the time of the declared emergency. Uh, so, okay, so because of the bill has an urgency um, container, and that is to say it's an urgent bill, it means that its provisions were effective immediately on November 5th. These changes affect existing insurance policies that have previously been priced and sold by insurance companies throughout California. For this reason, insurance now have a larger financial exposure than they did just a matter of days ago. With the property insurance market in a tailspin from multiple years of catastrophic uh, fire claims, it remains to be seen how this additional financial exposure bestowed upon them with a stroke of a pen will affect California's insurer's ability to offer insurance policies going forward. These new provisions are designed to assist consumers uh, in the short term That may certainly be the case. However, it fails to address the greater picture of how private insurers, the private insurance industry, can and will pay for these additional wildfire losses and the inevitable claims that follow. Mr. Sussman goes on to conclude in his letter, this Band-Aid approach 
uh, will hopefully bring to the forefront the desperate need we have to find a way to pay for these yearly wildfires while at the same time maintain profitability in the insurance industry so that we may be able to continue to sell the product that protects millions of people here in California. So, again, I have to thank Mr. Um, Mr. Sussman, just as I did Mr. Uh, Stempler, for these very provocative and thoughtful letters. And we'll continue to our discussion about this. But for now, because the engineers tell them it's time to go, I always, in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we always have to stay on the right side of the law, including the laws of public utility insurance company regulation. So till next time, take care. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. 